Good morning, everyone. There we are. I bet you liked it better the other way. Uh, if you're new here among us, my name is Gene. I serve here at C3 Church as your lead pastor. And I want to go off the notes for just a minute. As I was preparing for my message, I felt that the Lord was telling me to tell you guys something. We've been talking about obedience lately in the series. Obedience. Nobody likes that word. Obey, right? Sounds like something we uh, tell dogs to do. Be obedient. Sit, stay, come here, right? So we don't like it. And therefore, it's one of the hardest things to preach on. It's really tough because you're covering a multitude of things. Right? So we all sin. We all fall short. We're all going through something, especially when it's politics. That's really, really tough for people. And the world is just trying so hard to make you angry. That's what Satan wants to do. He wants to divide. He wants to divide people. He wants to divide the country. He wants to divide the church. And so what happens? As a pastor, you see it. And so I see my brothers and sisters who are Democrats or Republicans, and then they start doing this, dividing, separating. And forgetting about the main thing. So as a pastor, that breaks my heart. Because really, all of that is secondary. Jesus is here. And the enemy is just going to tell you something totally different. But we have to believe these other things, too. And if my brother or sister doesn't believe it, I have to fight with them about it. And it's just not true. It's not true. We're in church. All that out there. Right? The gospel. The truth about the word, not the world. I want to see that today. All of this will fade away. It's all going to be gone. Read to the end of the book. All gone. Doesn't matter. Jesus is coming back. Right. So just want to let you guys know that. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm a former martial arts instructor. So. Uh, we did mixed martial arts, tough stuff. And so I'd always hesitate to compliment someone. It was more like hard discipline. And I always felt like, you ever get this when you're a parent, if you're a parent, you know, I was just telling you how good you were doing. You know, and then, so it, it's hard for me, but I just want to say this to you guys. And I know we're going to go a little over today, but I, we're all good, right? We have lunch afterwards? Okay, good. We can, you know, we can go five minutes late for Jesus. <laughs> we got food upstairs, actually. All right, so I just have to say this to you from the bottom of my heart, good job. For those of you who stuck it out, had some tough conversations with people, we worked through it like brothers and sisters in Christ, and if you're here, if you stuck it out, good job. Good job. I appreciate you guys. All right, so let's stay in the Word. The main thing, the main thing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you. It's been a joy, actually, the last week. You guys have made my life a joy, so I want to say that. No nasty phone calls, emails, or meetings. It's been wonderful. <laughs> You're spoiling me. So here's a question for you. Have you ever made a promise to someone so important that you had to like seal it with something, like a pinky swear? Is that a thing anymore? Do people do? They do? They still do? pinky swears. All right. Well, we've been looking at covenants, that is promises 
in the Bible. We see a lot of promises being made. We've been in Genesis. In the last message in this series, we looked at Abraham and the early life of his son, Isaac, was the fulfillment of God's promise. Before that, we saw that Abraham rescued Lot. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? And then there is the tithe to and the blessing from that mysterious high priest, Melchizedek. Then Genesis 15.1 says, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. And the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside, and he said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants, seed, you will have. Do you think that Abram was actually able to count the stars? Maybe he could if he had a telescope. Now we can get a better look than Abram or Abraham did, thanks to people like Jocelyn Bell Burnell, a remarkable person, who in 1967, at the age of just 24 years old, helped build a radio telescope at Cambridge University in England. Almost immediately afterwards, she used it to discover pulsars, completely upending everything we knew about supernova explosions. This earned a Nobel Prize in physics for her supervisor, Anthony Hewish. But he was kind enough to share it with Martin Ryle, not Jocelyn Bell Burnell. In those days, junior assistants simply didn't make big discoveries. And if they did, they weren't by a woman. She didn't get credit right away. But I'm talking about her today, so she did make it into the history books. Now, maybe we can relate to this in some way, shape, or form. Maybe. We had an experience with a colleague at work who took credit for ours. Maybe it's a lab partner in school who was always absent but got the credit for the project when we did all the hard work. Today, we're going to look at a biblical account of someone who did a lot of work but didn't necessarily get credit for it, and someone who did almost nothing, whose name did make it to the history books. So God made a promise, as we've seen. But then Abraham tries to fulfill it on his own human effort. But then he learns to trust God and wait. So God fulfills the promise, and it's Isaac. 
And so it is Abraham's faith that leads to obedience. And this obedience leads to what we looked at in the last part. The sacrifice or willingness to do so on Abraham's part of Isaac. An amazing story of absolute obedience. Now today, we're going to jump around a little bit. We're going to be in Genesis 24 and 26. I told you, Bible's not always chronological. It often kind of zooms in and out of scenes like a movie or a TV show would. So today, we're going to hop around just to keep it topical. We're going to be looking at the adult life of Isaac. And here, we reach a story that actually gets left out most of the time. It's kind of funny. In fact, if you've ever read the story or done the story as a church, we did that program years ago, this one gets almost totally left out. The story just tells us that Isaac marries Rebecca. Then it moves on to other stories. It doesn't go deep into this at all. It's a shame. So here we see that Abraham is getting old. He's getting on in years. And he wants a bride for his son Isaac, right? He's the fulfillment of this promise. But then all the descendants are going to come through Isaac. So this is important. It's a big deal. So he trusts his oldest servant. And he says, you're going to take an oath. You're going to put your hand under my thigh. It's kind of like an ancient pinky swear. It is said that the descendants come from this region. Get my drift. Gross. But anyway, they just do this, right? Come in my office, Dustin, and put your hand under my thigh. <laughs> we have to call a lawyer. All right, so it's not like that. <laughs> anyway, so we just that, and we'll do that, and then that's it. <laughs> so he trusts them with this task. It's a monumental task. It's really important. They both know it. He says, do not let Isaac marry any of these local Canaanite women. I want you to do that. I want you to go back to my homeland, back to my kinsmen, and find a bride for Isaac there. Natural question. What if I can't find one, the servant says. He says, don't worry, prophetically. He says, the Lord told me, the angel is going to go ahead of you and make you successful in this task. But Abraham doesn't trust the people there. And he says, well, if she doesn't come back, you're not going to be held to this oath. The curse won't be on you. Don't worry about that. So the servant loads up 10 camels with all kinds of gifts. This is for the bride price. And he sets out. Finally, he gets to Aram, between the rivers. Aram, literally, between two rivers. It's where Nahor had settled. He's outside the town at the well. He knows that the women are going to be coming out to get water, to draw water from the well. When he gets there, he does something very important that we don't often do. He stops and prays. Lord, please make me successful for my master, Lord Abraham, in this task. Now, you ever do something like this? Maybe you got like a crumpled up piece of paper you want to throw away and you try to make a basket. But you make bets with yourself about things. Like, if I make this basket, I'll win lotto. No? I'm the only one who's, like, made little deals with myself. Like, if I make this, okay, whatever, I'm crazy. <laughs> but anyway, this is kind of what he does. It made me laugh. Anyway, he, he says, Lord, I'm going to choose one of these women. 
And the one who gives me water, I'm going to ask her for water. I'm going to say, give me something to drink. The one who not only gives me something to drink, but then waters my camels, that's the bride for Isaac. He says his prayers. It's kind, of, it's kind of funny. I don't know. It struck me as strange. I'm strange. Anyway, before he can finish praying, he looks up and he sees Rebecca coming. So you have to picture this kind of Middle Eastern type of thing. She's got the water jug and everything, and she's going to draw water. And he runs up to her. Can I have a drink of water? Sure. She lowers the jug, gives him a drink of water. Let me water the camels. Yes. Home run. All right, so Jean made the basket. He's very excited. He waits for her to finish up, gives her a gold nose ring and two gold bracelets, like Wonder Woman or something. So, <laughs> nose rings, they were all the rage back then and in the 80s. So, <laughs> so <laughs> he's excited. He asks her a couple of questions. He says, whose daughter are you? And is there room in your house where I can stay? And she says, well, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, who is the son of Nahor and Milcah. Ding, ding, ding. That's Abraham's family. So that's a good thing in this particular case. Not now. But in this particular case, that's a good thing. His, his kinsman. So this is good. He's happy. Now, if you've been paying attention to names, this is very complicated. A lot of twists and turns. Nahor is Abraham's brother. Milcah was Haran's daughter. That is... Nahor and Abraham's brother. That means that Nahor married his niece. I think I've got that right. Weird. Right? It's very strange. And I think she's brothers with Lot. You can check my work on that one too. So it all kind of comes around. They're keeping it in the family. So this is Isaac's second cousin. That's what that is. Rebecca. He's older than her, probably around 40 years old. And she's younger. It says that she's a virgin, but old enough to get married. So he says, great. She rushes off, goes back home, and tells her family what happened. Now, there's another person that I want you guys to pay attention to over the next couple weeks. He's interesting, and we're going to see some foreshadowing. Laban. Laban is an interesting cat. So he hears the story. He sees the gold nose ring, the bracelets, all the stuff, and he gets excited. And he rushes out to the servant, and he's like, come on in. Because he knows he's got the 10 camels with all the goodies on it, all right? So just, just remember Laban's character here. He comes in, they have a meal prepared for him. And the servant says, no, 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 no. This is exciting. I got to tell you what happened. So it's kind of a long account in the Bible because he says it all again. He retells the entire thing. We're not going to do that again. So they say, Bethel and Laban, great. This is obviously from the Lord. Can have Rebecca? Great. He spends the night, the servant. Gets up the next morning and he says, I got to get going. This is awesome. I got to share it with my master, my Lord. <sighs> More foreshadowing. We kind of want you to stay a while. Now, if you know what I'm talking about, not 14 years, just 10 days. Somebody's reading the Bible. Just 10 days. He's like, nope, I can't do it. I got to get back to my master. Well, let's ask Rebecca, see what she says. She says, yes, so they go. And now you get this scene that's kind of like the prodigal son scene. You have Isaac in the field and Rebecca in the distance and they see each other. Very romantic in the NLT audio Bible, they put on this nice like music, you know. So it's like you get, you get a picture here. And Rebecca says to the servant, who is that? 
that's my master's son, my master. Ooh, she puts on the veil, they meet each other, and that goes really fast from here. They end up in his mother's tent, consummating the marriage. That's it. It says that he loved her and she comforted him, Isaac and Rebecca. So Sarah's dead, by the way, so get that picture out of your mind. Remember last time she died, 127. So then, <laughs> you have chapter 25. Spoiler alert, Abraham dies, 175 years old. Jacob and Esau are born. We're saving that for next, next week. Again, adult life of Isaac. So we move to chapter 26, and there's something interesting. It's kind of a reoccurring theme. There's a famine in the land. Now, this should sound a little bit familiar to you. This happened before with Abraham. This will happen again in the Joseph account. There's often a famine, and then they go to Egypt to get grain or whatever they need. And there's a big deal in the Joseph account. Well, here it happens again, but there's something different about this. The Lord tells Isaac to stay put in Gerar. So this is the land of the Philistines. And there's another name, Abimelech. If you were paying attention, you might have heard that name before. Abraham also had an encounter with a guy named Abimelech. A lot of people try to figure this one out. But this is what the word says, that it is Abimelech, and he's a Philistine king in Gerar. That's it. Same description. So some people will say, it's got to be a different one. It doesn't say that. It says it's the same Abimelech. Well, Isaac, he's hanging out, and when people ask him who Rebecca is, he says, she's my sister. Sound familiar? Same thing Abraham did. Probably the same guy. Kind of weird. Like father, like son. Well, it's different with Abimelech this time. Last time, God told him. This time, he perceives it. He sees Isaac caressing Rebekah. He gets mad. What are you doing? If someone was with her, you would have caused us all the sin. And he makes a proclamation. Anybody who touches her or him or him or her, they die. Story continues. Isaac stays in the land, and his servants are digging wells. That's really important. Got to remember, like a desert, arid kind of climate there. You're going to need water even here. We need water. So they dig wells. That's a big deal. He's prospering. It says his crops produce 100 times. It's a lot. He's expanding and expanding. And as a result, the Philistines start getting jealous, and they start filling in his wells with dirt. It's no good. And eventually, Abimelech says, you know what? Get on out of here. You've grown too powerful for us. But Isaac, despite all this, continues to prosper. He's digging wells, but the Philistines are still making it difficult for him. He doesn't go very far. He goes maybe into the valley of Gerar, it says. So, not a maps guy, but not far. So they're still filling his wells. And he names them different things. Arguing, hostility. They name all these wells because that's what's going on. But finally, open space. He gets room to grow. He prospers. Now, Abimelech, he's perceptive. And so he approaches Isaac. Isaac's like, what? You already kicked me out. He has his visor there, his military general, Peekle. What do you want? You hate me. He's like, no, 
I don't want there to be hostility between us, so let's make an oath. Let's promise not to be hostile toward one another. Smart guy. So they take an oath. And they call that place, or reaffirm that place, because it's come up before, Beersheba. It means well of the oath. And it's a wordplay, because it sounds like seven, too. Well of the oath, or seven. Why seven? Because there are seven lambs. They're involved with the covenant here. So in this section of Scripture, we see a lot of oaths that require faith in another person, and most importantly, God. We saw that Abraham had faith, and a sign of that faith was indeed obedience, which was credited to him as righteousness. And he got credit for it, a lot of credit. He's mentioned a lot in the Bible. But here's the thing. Would we be that obedient? Even if we knew, we'd never get credit for it. Many don't realize that there is the rest of the rest of the story in the servant. Maybe you noticed something. Now, remember Abraham's initial concern here at the initiation of the covenant. There's a reason I went to Genesis 15 here. He thinks that the servant will inherit the wealth. Genesis 15, 2. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. But God says, Genesis 15, 5, then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And indeed, it's true. But whatever happened to the servant? Maybe you noticed something that in today's account, servant didn't have a name on the paper here in Genesis chapter 24. But some say it is in Genesis 15 too. It's a trusted servant, his oldest servant. So some say it is Eliezer who took the oath, did the ancient pinky swear with Abram. I hope he washed his hands. Now, if we give Eliezer credit for it, doesn't say, so I'm not saying it's him. If we give him credit for it, he did a lot. He made a promise. He made a plan. He submitted and prayed to God. He devised a strategy with room for God to work. He was patient. He accepted the answer with thanks. He worshiped. And he refused delay. And if it isn't Eliezer, he didn't get any credit for any of it. Have you ever approached a promise to someone with such single-minded devotion and obedience while trusting completely in God? Have you ever fulfilled a promise selflessly without receiving any credit. 
we talked about faith leading to obedience. And we saw that those who love Jesus are the ones who obey his commands. John 14, 21. Now, we are saved by God's grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. Understand that. But true faith will produce obedience. When looking at the story of Isaac in these accounts, we see that Isaac really didn't do very much. Maybe that's why it gets left out of the story. But when we combine this with what he actually did do, which was deceive Abimelech, we could easily draw the conclusion that we're like Isaac. There's nothing we have to do. We can go around sinning. It just doesn't matter. Well, we saw in the last part in this series that there are two sides to the coin that we have to look at. We can't be like one side of the coin Christians all the time. There are two sides to this. There was Abraham credited as righteous because of his faith in context, not by works of the law. We see this in Galatians 3 and Romans 4, but James 2, by what he did as well. It's important. When we're baptized, we die to our old self. That's what that symbolizes. And we rise a new creation into a new life in Jesus Christ. But we also come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I think many Christians either forget about it or they're not told about it. I didn't hear that at my baptism, so it took me a while. I wish someone had told me before I got baptized, you're going to do this, we're going to dunk you in the water, it symbolizes the dying of your old self and the rising of new creation. Do you know what that means? No one asked me that question. It's like, woo, we're going to get baptized. And I'm like, before I did it, you are now coming under the lordship of the king of all kings. There's responsibility that goes with that. You now represent him in everything that you do and say. It requires obedience. He said, those who love me will obey me. Do you know what Jesus said to do? Things like turn the other cheek. It's hard. But you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, too. will help you do this stuff. Still requires obedience. A lot of people don't hear that or they don't understand that. You see, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus talks about a good tree producing good fruit. It means we must produce good deeds. There must be results that people can see of this salvation. I'll show you that scripture in case you don't believe me. He says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Luke 6, 46, look it up. He's saying, how can you say that I'm your Lord and master if you don't do what I'm saying, if you don't obey me at all? It's ridiculous. Eliezer, if that's him, he called Abraham his master, his Lord, because he was. He obeyed him implicitly and trusted in God. And so should we. 
Likewise, our Lord, if that's what we're calling him, requires obedience. That's it. And like the servant, we are given instructions about how we live that out. A whole lot of them. <laughs> Love, start there, covers a lot of them. Jesus teaches about how we are to fulfill this obedience to him. And he says, let your good deeds shine so that God gets the glory. And then he goes on, he continues on that, because a lot of people stop there. Talks about a whole bunch of sins. Then, Matthew 6, 1, he says, watch out. It's important what he's going to say next. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose. You will lose. If you do this, you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. It's not no by the way. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their actions of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Like Eliezer, or the unknown servant, we don't get credit for it. We get to share in his glory, not ours. But, as we saw, we do get to share in his glory. And that is an amazing thing, more radiant than any glory we could ever produce on our own. That reward is in heaven. Something interesting. Before Isaac has the encounter with Abimelech, God reassures him of the promise he made to his father, to Abraham. It says this, Genesis 26, 4. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars of the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I will do this because Abraham listened and obeyed all my requirements, commands, decrees, and instructions. We looked at Philippians. I like Philippians a lot, especially chapter 2. Sometimes I recite the Carmen Christi gospel poem to you. It's beautiful. I have like seven-ish lines of favorite scripture. I don't have a life verse. <laughs> I won't go there again. Anyway. It's a beautiful gospel poem. We could repeat it every Sunday in church and it wouldn't be enough. It tells us about the nature of Christ, who he is and what he did for us. And in it, it says that he was obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. If we keep reading, it says this, Philippians 2.12. Dear friends, Paul writes, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. 
For God is working in you, giving you the desire and power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright stars in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Shining like stars in the sky. We are part of the fulfillment of God's promise going all the way back to Abram, like stars in the sky. You are a part of that fulfillment of God's promise. Isaac was the fulfillment of a promise. And Paul writes this in Galatians. While in context, he compares and contrasts Abraham's children as slaves to the law or freedom in Christ. But he says this, Galatians 4.22, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. Beautiful. And you, dear brothers and sisters, you are children of the promise, just like Isaac. We are the children of the promise who will share in Christ's glory and inheritance, shining like stars in the sky. We've been talking about history a little bit. I like to do that. Biblical history and other world history. Now, we may not end up in the history books like Jocelyn Bell Burnell or Isaac. And it doesn't really matter anyway because there's a much better book that we should be far more concerned with ending up in. Did you know that God has his own history book? Through what Jesus did for us, we end up in a better book, the book of life. Through Jesus Christ, our names are now in the book of life. If we keep reading Philippians, in context, there's Iodia and Syntyche, they're not getting along. There's women in the church in Philippi, just as today, back then too. They're not getting along. He's encouraging them. This is the context. But he says this. Pay attention. Philippians 4.33. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Jesus puts our name there. He fulfilled a promise through obedience. And that promise, our names are in the Lamb's book of life. We celebrated the resurrection last week. And many don't realize that the resurrection was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Many don't realize that it's in Daniel. It's because there are like a couple places where people usually stop reading. The Daniel diet. Stop, Right. Three people in the fire, stop there. The lion's den, stop. That's it, right? That's 
the story. But Daniel, there's a lot more to it than that. And if you get all the way to chapter 12, it talks about the end times. And something else, too. Daniel 12.1. At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since the nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. Did you ever notice that before? It's beautiful. And indeed, when we get to the end of the rest of the story, almost one chapter away from it, see that Jesus has come back. The word of the Lord. He takes care of all this stuff we're worried about. Indeed, it's all gone. There's a new heaven and a new earth. And there's a new Jerusalem. It says this, Revelation 21, 22. I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for sun or moon, for the glory of God illuminates the city. And the Lamb, Jesus, is its light. The nations walk in its light, and the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of the day, because there's no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. As you go out this week, take that one with you. Remember that when someone slaps you across the face. Remember that when you see something you don't agree with. Jesus has got it. Jesus has got it. And your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's what's important. Through Jesus, we're in there. And our hope and assurance is in sharing in his glory, the glory of Jesus Christ. So we must finish our race here strong, holding on to that promise, that hope, and that assurance. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for this church everyone who took the time to be here, to dig into your word, their love for you, Lord. Let that radiate out into each other. Bind us in your Holy Spirit. Unify us as a church. Let that also radiate out to everyone they encounter throughout their week. Everyone they encounter throughout their week. Everyone. And Lord, if there are any within the sound of my voice who have not come underneath your lordship fully, I pray they surrender to you. Be filled with your Holy Spirit. Love you in their mind, their heart. Believe what you did for them. 
I ask these things in Jesus' name.